Hello, all you bookworms, and welcome to Oh, for the Love of Books, the show that gives tidbits of interesting facts about books and a bit of narration from the books I read. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and today we're going to talk about the longest words in English and what they mean. Also, a little piece of Heather Graham's Seeing Darkness in the Crew of Hunters series. So what are some of the longest words in English? What do they mean? Well, I've looked and here's what I found. I will try to pronounce them just for fun. I also um, will spell them out if you want to write them down and give them a try. So what word is 189,819 letters long? Well, the short form is Titan, and that's T-I-T-I-N. It takes over three hours to read and say. It's actually a name of a giant protein called Titan. Proteins are usually named by mashing up the names of the chemicals making them. And since Titan is the largest protein ever discovered, its name had to be equally as large. So the next word is, okay, I'm going to do my best here. Nominal ultramicroscopic silicovolcano kinosis. <laughs> and it's about 45 letters. So here it is. P-N-E-U-M-O-N-O-U-L-T-R-A-M-I-C-R-O-S-C-O-P-I-C-S-I-L-I-C-O-V-O-L-C-A-N-O-S-C-O-P-I-C-S-I-L-I-C-O-V-
And then there's another word that I'm sure we've all heard, and it is from Mary Poppins. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. 34 letters. Mary Poppins described it as the word to use when you have nothing to say. And it does appear in some dictionaries, but not all. So who comes up with these words? Why are they so complicated and hard to say? But you know what? I do have to thank language, though, as there would be no books or audiobooks. And that would really suck. Um, We would have to draw pictures to communicate. And no one would have a clue what I was saying because I can't draw for the life of me. Well, now I have some more words. So here's a piece from Heather Graham's Seeing Darkness, a Crew Hunter's novel. In his life, John had never heard anything as horrible or heart-wrenching as the mother's cry when she first realized that her child had been taken. It happened just off Essex Street, by the Charter Street Cemetery, or Old Burying Point, just a block or so from the heavy pedestrian traffic near the Peabody Essex Museum and the hordes of tourists who enjoyed the unusual shops and restaurants in the heart of the city of Salem, Massachusetts. Some were coming and going from the Wax Museum, some were buying the herbs and whatnot that made which city so famous. The tragic history of the 1692 witch trials, of course, made the city infamous. Even at 12, John knew the city's history, and he also knew there was a decent-sized population in the city who were truly Wiccan. He didn't quite get it. He liked the earth well enough, but he didn't ascribe it any magical properties. His parents weren't Wiccan. They were Episcopalians, but they never disparaged the Wiccans. John's father had told him, What a man believes comes from his heart, mind, and soul, and our great country is founded on freedom of religion something we must thank our founding fathers for having assured us. The Puritans hanged Quakers as well as those they accused of witchcraft. Sad affairs indeed. So unless it causes pain or injury to others, we respect every man's belief. Having grown up in Salem, John and his family tended to avoid the heavily touristed area. There were normal things to do in Salem as well, even if his little league team was called the Broomsticks. Their coach was a newcomer to the city, with a slightly twisted sense of humor in John's mind. But he liked his teammates. John was the pitcher, and a good one. And that year, as he approached his 13th birthday, he was becoming more appreciative of the fact that Amy Larson, a knockout blonde, liked to sit in the stands to cheer him on. They'd gone to their first dance together. John had mentioned this to his father, that his coach was an atheist. And that's his right, too, his father had said. The woman screaming nearby with such fear must be a tourist, John thought. He was only in Salem's historic center because his mum's cousin had come in from New York 
with friends, and they were showing them the sights. He was a good tour guide. He knew his city well. It was impossible to grow up in Salem without having its stories drummed into one's head. But they weren't on his mind now. The sound of the woman's scream erased all else except for compassion for anyone who could cry out in such pain. The sound seemed to rip through his gut. There had been several kidnappings in New England lately. Two bodies had been discovered. John's parents had even discussed it with him so he could be on his guard. It was scary. This woman probably hadn't been thinking it could happen to her. She'd have her daughter's hand the entire time they were in the city. But somehow, in the blink of an eye, someone had spirited her child away. John understood innately there could be no agony greater in life than losing a child. At first he stood there, horrified with the others as the woman screamed. Someone rushed off and found two police officers who happened to be walking the beat past the cemetery. John wound up shoved back by the growing crowd. But he was tall for his age, almost 5'10 already. He could clearly see the devastated mother, hysterical as she talked to the father. Police tried to calm her and figure out what had happened. The family had been in the cemetery. The woman managed to tell them. Tracy was 10, old enough to read the gravestones and take a few steps away. She'd been right there. And then she was gone. While John stood in the back of the crowd, he heard a man say, Now, one of you must see now. If you don't stop him now, he'll have her. Get to the van, block the road, don't let him drive away. He turned to look. There stood a man in traditional Puritan garb, from his black hat to his white socks and navy vest and breeches. John stared at him. If you know something, you have to tell the cops. The man looked at him, his eyes widening. You heard me? Of course I heard you. Tell the cops what you know, John said impatiently. Someone took a little girl. Go help. The man shook his head. He strode towards John and took his shoulders. John never knew if it was the feel or the lack of feeling when the man seemed to touch him, or the sound of his voice, as raspy as the wind in a nor'easter. Or maybe it was just the chill that swept through his body. But he suddenly knew the man facing him was a ghost. He was a dead man. A dead man who hadn't walked the streets of Salem for hundreds of years. You tell the police, the man urged him. Tell them you saw a man sweep a girl away and out on the street by the old house. Do it now. You saw him dragging her to a white van with an ad for dog grooming business, and he'll get away with her if they don't act immediately. For a moment, John stood frozen. The dead man couldn't shake him. His touch was like a breeze. But then it seemed that he did. John burst into action. 
he forced his way through the crowd and over to a police officer. At first it appeared that the cop didn't want to hear him or believe him, but another policeman said, Sweet Jesus, Matt, let's get to that van. We've got nothing else. Oh, come on, the kid didn't see anything. No one saw anything. The little girl just ran away. She's hiding somewhere. She's... John didn't wait for more. He left the wall of the cemetery and ran across the graveyard to the house and street behind. And there was the van, just as the ghost said. John catapulted himself towards the van when he realized the driver was just about to take off. He caught hold of the rear door handle, wrenching hard just as the driver tried to veer into the street. His feet flew off the ground. He wouldn't let go, even though he felt a surge of terror. By then, the cops had caught up. One of them jumped in front of the van. The driver didn't slow down and seemed as though he was about to bulldoze over them. But then a shot rang in the air. John wrenched the door open. A little girl was lying on the floor of the van unconscious. Next to another girl. One who. He closed his eyes. He'd never seen anything so horrible. She was decomposing. She looked like something that might have been a prop at a Halloween haunted house. Except that she was real. John fell away from the van. He wasn't needed anymore. Cops were swarming the van. More sirens rang out nearby. Someone was calling an ambulance. His own family surrounded him. Oh my God, John! His mother exclaimed. She wrapped him in a hug as though he were still a toddler. In the following days, they let him know repeatedly that they were proud of him. They couldn't understand his reticence to talk to reporters or even to accept thanks. He had surely saved a life, but he had also seen the other girl, the one who hadn't been saved. He was also embarrassed. He didn't want to be hailed as a hero. He wasn't. A dead man had come to him and told him what to do. The dead man was a hero but it was hard for a dead man to accept any acclaim, and it was hard for John to accept what he'd seen. John lay awake night after night, wondering if he had really seen the man in Puritan clothes, if he had been mistaken, if it had been an actor. Years later, he again met the man who had helped him, the dead man. By then, John was looking at sports scholarships to just about any college he might want to attend. And it wasn't anywhere near Essex Street, the cemetery, a museum, or the memorial. He had just spent a good day at Dead Horse Beach with friends and was zipping up his backpack when he heard a voice. An unmistakable voice. You'll be heading out soon, eh, son? Leaving this place? John turned around slowly. He was dressed in the same Puritan garb, a harsh-looking man of about forty-five. Not harsh. Maybe weathered was a better way to describe him. No, John said simply. You're not, you're not Puritan. I'm not hearing a thou or a thee. You're an actor. 
and why you chose to make me crazy. I was a Puritan. I've been walking these streets for, well, a very long time, the man said. And why I haunt you? Haunting matters sometimes. We saved a life that day. Be thankful for your gift. It's rare. What gift? You see the dead. John shook his head. I've seen you. I don't see the dead. And whoever or whatever you are. Abadiah Jones, the man said. Feel free to look me up. Everyone remembers those who were hanged. And old Giles Corey, who was pressed to death. They forgot how many were arrested, how many died in jail, how many were ruined for life, who went on to die, their bodies ravaged with disease and malnutrition from imprisonment. I died in prison, but I was never convicted, so I lie in holy ground, and I watch, and I do my best to see that such horrible injustice never comes to this place again. John stood still. His friends were still out on the sand. He waved to them and forced a smile. This can't be real, he murmured. Open your heart and soul, my dear young fellow. Open to the possibilities of this world. Use your talent. Use your gift. You have the rare ability to listen and see, and maybe not change the world but maybe change the world for some. I... You'll know what to do, the man said. He walked away, disappearing into the sun and sky. It couldn't be real. But as John watched him go, he knew that the man, apparition, ghost, whatever, had certainly changed one life forever. John's own. So you want to hear more? You'll have to grab the book or audiobook. This is number 30 in the series. It is a great read if you like mystery, paranormal fiction, romance, romantic suspense, thriller, or ghost stories. It is listed in six genres. But I would recommend starting from Phantom Evil, which is book number one. You need to get an understanding of how the crew of hunters came about and why. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all who have taken the time from your day to listen to me. And I hope you found the information I gave you interesting. For those who are interested, next week's podcast is going to be about the many genres. So if you like my podcast, subscribe to my show, or please send me an email to justvicvoice at outlook.com. That's J-E-S-S-V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at outlook.com with your thoughts and questions. I'd love to be able to read some on the show. Thank you again, and please join me next week on Oh for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading.